Good day and welcome to Practice Blueprint, the podcast. Each episode of Practice Blueprint captures our success and shares it with other practitioners. Our success is based on already making big mistakes so you don't have to. See, over the years, we have been fortunate to capture a proven, sustainable, and successful program which will eliminate fear, frustration, and stress while it advances your competency and your confidence so that you can develop a sustainable, profitable, natural health business. This system is built by practitioners for practitioners. It is not theory. It has been proven with over 30,000 clinical hours of hands-on experience to support it. In each episode, we will address real clinical challenges with proven, accessible solutions any practitioner can benefit from. This, in turn, will position you to develop that natural health business you've always dreamed of. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of Practice Blueprint. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. It is already April, and this is our special monthly uh, protocol Q&A for April. So, wow, hard to believe it's already April. It's like you blinked, and it's... It's just halfway through the year. So we love this. Um, we love doing these sessions every single month. We do them every month. So if you have any questions or maybe challenging cases you would like to submit to us, please feel free to do that. Um, we also post the replay on our herbal channel. So those that couldn't be with us live, we know a lot of you are with clients right now. You're able to watch the replay and still benefit from that. And we have a lot of really great questions and topics we're going to discuss today. So with that, I think we'll dive in if you're good with that, Dan. I'm ready. I, I'm excited about the topics that uh, people have brought to our attention this week. So the first question that we had is, involves, uh, you know, a, an inflammatory friendly diet. I know this is like very, very common, right? Like we, we have so many clients that struggle with inflammation. Um, one of the things I shared was phase one, uh, you know, because I know a lot of the foods that contribute to inflammation aren't included on the phase one diet, but I thought it would be good to just kind of throw in here for discussion with you. Sure. Um, um, you know, anything else you'd like to add on to that and maybe any recommendations you make with your clients? Yeah, you know, it's, this is such a great topic. You know, everybody who has pain has inflammation, but not everybody who has inflammation has pain. So it's kind of tricky. Uh, we see this inflammatory response, especially in the cardiovascular arena, but that's maybe a different topic. The, the biggest thing to remember as a practitioner when dealing with people with chronic pain and inflammation and trying to come up with a diet that really meets their needs is, is, is identifying what are the, what's the possible cause. If you don't know the cause, it's hard to figure out the approach, okay? So I would, I would throw that out as a blanket, kind of an umbrella statement for practitioners to pay attention to. And the big three for you know, people with inflammation is either injury, infection, or toxins. Most of the people today that we see, obviously, usually have a combination of all three. And let's not forget that there can be allergy responses involved in those, in the, in those inflammatory mediators uh, being developed. So uh, it's also important to note on this topic that anything that ends in itis is an inflammatory response. As a reminder, like arthritis, bursitis, colitis, right? All of the itises of the world, okay, when someone comes to us. 
And they say, well, I've been told I have this itis. Uh, again, that just, that signals, hey, I'm dealing with inflammation, okay? Um, so the biggest thing with diet and inflammatory cases is making absolutely certain that the client is drinking an ounce per pound of body weight daily. Got to start with flushing the system, especially if we're dealing with uh, a histamine response, a toxic response, or the byproducts of an infection, okay? And or injury even. So, in, in, you know, staying hydrated is one of the key components. Um, people need to avoid red meat and animal fats, unfortunately, as part of their diet, probably two to four weeks minimum. Um, but let their body be their guide. You know, you're training them as practitioners. Listen to your body. Listen to how it's responding to what we're doing. Listen, you know, to the, to the protocol. Uh, fish is okay because it does have omega-3, which will decrease certain you know, inflammatory markers. Um, but watch the red meat, watch the, uh, and, and watch the uh, animal fat products. Do your very best also, practitioners, to get people to eat as much of the organic fruits and vegetables as possible because, again, this is going to reduce the toxic load, Okay. I was thinking about this morning earlier, I was talking to some other folks, and one of the things that, I, that occurred to me is that the number one exposure to toxins that we have today in modern living, the number one exposure is diet. There's nothing that the average person across the board is gonna have more toxins accumulate from than their current diet. So we really have to focus on helping them reduce the, the toxic load, the chemicals uh, that will drive the inflammation. So. Um, and then as you and I know, Becca, our favorites, right? we we'll avoid all refined sugars, white flour, grains, breads, no pastas, no bagels. As Craig likes to tell people, and they chagrin about it, uh, avoid the four C's, cookies, candies, cakes, and colas. Um, you know, those are just simple things that helps us remember uh, this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the fried foods. Stay away from the fried foods. Uh, the chemical compounds, the chemical toxins found in the superheating of those oils is another inflammation driver. So, uh, so be aware of those. There's, uh, I was looking in the literature here a while back, and there's the RICE method, which RICE stands for rest, ice, put compression on the area, and uh, and that way you'll you'll improve the, the circulation, right? When you do compression and release. Uh, so the rice method and then elevate. So R-I-C-E, right? Um, those are some good things. Just to remember, you know, kind of some of the additional tools that you as practitioners can keep uh, on hand uh, that just makes things much easier. If you like garlic, I call it garlic up, right? Like load up on the garlic. You can't go wrong with garlic, uh, ginger, uh, spirulina is a wonderful anti-inflammatory, especially if there's toxins or byproducts of, of food residues, um, byproducts of infection. Uh, you know, that's why superfood is one of the best nutrients on the planet because it cleanses and nourishes at the same time. So you get a lot of spirulina in the system and you're going to uh, help reduce the inflammatory responses. You know, and obviously for you smokers and folks that consume alcohol, be careful of those because those are going to be like gas on a fire in a pain case. So those are some of the most important basics, right, that I try to remember and explain with clients. And again, whatever the cause is dictates the approach. So we have to start there as practitioners 
and really know, are we dealing with injury? Are we dealing with chemical poisoning? Are we dealing with food sensitivities? Are we dealing with an allergy response? That kind of stuff. So identify the cause. It helps you uh, to, to create a better approach. So. Yeah. So many things can contribute. Yeah. Just, I would just add one note onto every, all of that that you just shared, which was great, um, is that if you're working with somebody on pain and inflammation, um, make sure they're doing food logs. I can't tell you how many times people say, well, I eat really clean or I eat really healthy. Um, and I'm guilty of this too, right? The, 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 the lesser of the evils processed, it's organic, it's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, whatever, right? We still have these foods that are contributing potentially to the inflammation, even though we perceive them as healthy or healthier options. So yeah. I think this is just like a quick note to just say that it's super important for you to also work with them on food logs, especially when dealing with inflammation, because there is most likely something in their diet that is contributing. And it could be something that we perceive as healthy or that is healthy, like tomatoes, right? Like we've done, we've done entire shows just on nightshades. You had a client who, um, one of the only real major dietary changes she made was tomatoes, but it, it was night and day on how she felt because it was contributing to, um, to the inflammation. So just throwing that out there that you got to do, if you're dealing with pain or inflammation, you got to do food logs for sure. Um, otherwise they're going to just expect the supplement to work like magic. Yeah. You know, you diet first, supplement second, right? And, and that's what you're touching on, which I really appreciate. Add in a lot of S signs with and away from food, uh, get them on some bioflora and S signs as a minimum in a pain case. Uh, they can take six or eight of those S signs away from food. Uh, one or two with meals, you know, in those real acute, chronic, challenging cases, even if you just do it for three to five days and let the body respond, see how they respond to that approach. Um, you know, a reminder, we're not using supplements so that the supplement does something to the body. We're using supplements so the body has the raw materials to perform by, by design. So it, uh, that's why we're doing so much short term. Uh, with with the things like enzymes, uh, probiotics, which we'll find in the bioflora, and uh, we might want to consider and just throw it out there. We might throw the nightshades documented on this somewhere at some point, you know. Okay. So, because a lot of practitioners may or may not be aware of the nightshades. Uh, sorry, we have a lot of hel helicopters going on in Cheyenne today. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into the next one. And I actually added this on here from one of our discussions in a coaching call, one of our mentoring coaching calls that we did. Um, this came into conversation and it was just such a good point. I thought we have to share this with everybody um, because a lot of practitioners are seeing this right now where um, you know, we're, we're kind of coming off of this very stressful year and things are calming down a little bit, even though we're still dealing with some stress, it's not as stressful as it was a year ago. And um, potentially maybe people are dealing with a little PTSD from everything that's happening and so many changes all at once. And, um, you know, adrenals are shot, people are kind of right coming down. And so, so you had some really good points of kind of your seeing patterns and kind of how you're navigating that. Can you share that with us? Cause this was so valuable. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It was a lot of fun in the conversation we had. And, and, you know, this is one of those things where we really have to observe 
because everyone's different on how stress affects them and then manifests later. Okay. And that's really kind of where the conversation kicked us off at. And, and some people will have a physical expression of pain because of stress. Others will go through an emotional shift that doesn't seem to, to, to change, right? Like their, their personality is one way. And then all of a sudden it's something else that seems like it's either down or, or negative. Uh, they'll lose interest in some of their more most common activities. Um, you know, and, and so to them, it doesn't really seem like they're noticing it, but we notice it. And so, you know, mental cognition can even show signs of slipping. And we think, oh, no, this person's having some kind of, you know, dementia or, or uh, you know, they're, they're getting forgetful or something. And really what we're seeing is, is it's the, the outcome potentially of just a lot of long-term stress, you know, and trauma. And so, again, we need to, you know, look at how those manifest. And uh, what happens with these kind of people is that whether they're, cognizant of it or not they fall into this pattern um, that i call oh my what next syndrome right so that's kind of what i've labeled it, the oh my what next they're not really living in the here and the now and they're constantly investing a lot of energy in negative fears or emotions or stress or, or being scared in, into what might could be coming next right the oh my what next syndrome um, and so they start perpetuating these negative thoughts and emotions and then they get stuck in that pattern. And science has actually uh, come up with a term for it. It's called the amygdala hijack. The amygdala is a certain area of the brain that when this gets stuck, it, the, it's kind of like a car that won't go out of gear. It's stuck and drive, okay? And, and so they'll get stuck in a fight or flight pattern. And the, they they've been doing it for so long that they don't even really recognize it. It has to be brought to their attention by someone else, a practitioner or a loved one, right? And so when we see that kind of thing happen, what we see is that we can, we can test them with things like Nervine, with B&B, &B, with Memcal, with, with skin, hair, and nails, with BF and C. These are really high quality, bioavailable plant source minerals, which by their design, the body uses them to calm down. The body uses them to kind of hit the the mineral reset button right in the body and and i've been using it uh, a lot more recently and i think we're going to see it happen uh, and the need for this uh from a practitioner standpoint we need to really be paying attention to this um and then also on top of that like what you guys talk a lot about i know you tammy shayla right a lot of stress reduction um you know activities prayer meditation massage, getting a lot of fresh air, essential oils, foods. The food category on this that I like to talk about are foods that are gonna have natural occurring B, B vitamins, B nutrients, because those are the stress nutrients. So now we're talking about things like cauliflower, uh, broccoli, salmon, liver, you know, sweet potatoes, right? Just to name a, a few foods that would go along with that type of uh, situation. That's great. Um, can you also share, you had kind of shared a little bit of the difference between like B&B and Memcal and BFNC and skin, hair and nails and kind of like how stress manifests a little differently for individuals. Yeah, B&B is going to be more of a central nervous system calming agent. So you'll get people who have uh, chronic low grade. Well, like we're going to talk about in a little bit, we're going to talk about tinnitus. Okay. 
uh, that can be a central nervous system disruption, right? So B&B uh, would be more of like central nervous system application, whereas um, skin, hair, and nails, bone, flesh, and cartilage, the BF and C formulas are going to be more uh, physical throughout the body, right? They're going to help uh, strengthen the blood profile. They're going to help uh, so provide those bioavailable nutrients, mineral source nutrients from plants that's going to have a physical, you know, connected tissue, muscle uh, level calming kind of, you know, people with the restless leg, okay, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, so C, skin, hair, nails, uh, things like that. Then, you, you know, your MemCal is really, because of the ginkgo and the other things that we find in there, it's going to give them um, the, like, brain power. Okay, it's going to help with the memory on, a, on a quite a bit, whether it be short term or long term. It's going to improve the, the cognitive function, right? The synapsis of the brain kind of gets a little, uh, a little charge, if you will. So, so those are some of the basic differences. Here's what I do, though, and I, it, it only takes 30 seconds or a minute um, and if I'm and if I'm dealing with a real challenged case and they're kind of manifesting emotional and physical, mm -hmm. you know, signs of, of overwhelm and stress, um, I'll just check them all. I'll just put them in priority and I'll just I'll just uh, ask the body, what do you need? Is it Nervine and B and B? Is it is it B and B and MemCal? Is it skin, hair, and nails? Um, and kind of come up with a formula that's really specific to them and. Uh, yeah, it seems to be working really well. Okay, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, so another question we had um, involves, this is kind of more kinesiology focused, uh, but having clients test for different products um, from week to week. So um, like the example was, you know, in one week testing for use Redux, the next week testing for Zymex, you know, so kind of a a uh, comparable product for what the underlying stress is, but why is the client testing different? Um, I know there's kind of a couple of, you know, a couple of different ways we can discuss this, but what are your thoughts? Sure. You know, it, we all as practitioners can have this happen from time to time. And I think that this, again, you're right, a kinesiology question falling under the umbrella of my practitioners. What is my job description, right? And my job description is, to communicate with people so that they and I are not vulnerable at all uh, in the relationship. I mean, that's really, really important. So when I test somebody and I put them on a program, I, I test them and then I contact them after the initial and then we do the program of care. So I've tested them a couple of times on their starting program, their starting program. And what can happen is after they've been on that program for about a week is if they're stable and no active reflex points come up, there's no reason to recheck the program. Here's what some practitioners are doing though. And it's, again, it's an application, I guess, you know, philosophy. It's just one of the things that sometimes people fall into. And that is, is that they'll test the product and in priority, even though there's no active reflex points, which says, I'm fine where I'm at, leave me alone, let me continue on. But then they'll check the program again in priority. And then certain things might start going a little weak. So instead of maybe reevaluating the amount of that product, like say instead of taking three yeast redux a day, maybe they needed to go down to one, okay, for this next week. And that's fine to adjust that a little bit. But 
if you go down that rabbit hole too far, you'll find that you're, you might be substituting products for something they've already been on that we didn't need to. They just needed to adjust it a little bit. And it really bounces them around in their program a lot, which can be very confusing, okay? And confusion in a client is not the client's fault, that's the practitioner's fault. If they're confused about why they're doing what they're doing. So it goes back to, you know, good education, doing program of cares, you know, spending a lot of time with them, investing a lot of time up front, getting them understanding the process before they start a program. Uh, there's just a lot of steps that go into this. So when this kind of thing happens, what I do, what we do is we check for the amount first. We don't just arbitrarily take them off something or find something else to replace it if they go weak. We start checking the amounts. We might flutter with that a little bit. Yeah, they might go from three a day to one a day. Yeah. They, one thing I've also seen happen is uh, they just took their supplements. So they just took their supplements right because they're on like lunch break or whatever from work. Yeah. And they just took their supplements and they come in to get an exam. And so their body's saying, I don't need this. Well, because it's literally just took it in. And so that can get, that can kind of get a little. Yeah. Not, not like to, yeah, throw people off with that. I don't want that. Sure. I'm like a thing you give too much attention to, but yeah. Yeah. You know, and when I, when I make an adjustment with a client, I'll, I'll let them know, hey, let's give this three to five days, maybe seven days tops. Let's see how you respond. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I, I, I try to avoid as much as possible, I really don't go down this pathway very often at all, ever. And that's like this like day in and day out adjusting of a program, day in and day out uh, testing or you know not giving the body an opportunity to really respond to the support that we're providing it. Mm -hmm. And so you know I always tell people, look, because they'll ask, right? We all know as practitioners, hey, when should I start feeling something or when should I feel better? I have a standard clinical response, which is, hey, let's give this three to five days, maybe seven days tops and see how you're responding. So be consistent, do your part. Let's let the body respond to the support you're giving it. Um, you're not going to solve these things in six minutes, you know, and then all of a sudden I need a different supplement. Uh, I've never seen that work or be successful, that approach, be successful for anybody. Um, we've got to give it a little more time than that. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of people over the, over the years, as you know, that they'll come in, we'll check them and we'll say, okay, it's time to finish this one. We're going to cut you down to one a day, finish that one. There might be a similar product mm -hmm. that does this, you know, for yeast, but like you pointed out, maybe they're moving from a nutraceutical to an herbal. Maybe they don't need something quite as potent. They still need support, but they don't need something quite as potent. So that can change maybe the product use a little bit or the product category uh, or product line. But um, making too jerky of movements all over the place uh, is not a good pattern to get into. And there's ways of ensuring that the client stays confident in why they're doing what they're doing. And you as the practitioner, don't set it yourself up for confusion that you don't need to be trying to handle. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So the next one uh, is from Laurel and she really brought up some points. So we want to say thank you, Laurel. This is really good. Um, yeah. Requested if we could have a discussion on heavy metals and how candida can sometimes be present in a protective manner. 
Um, I think like you pointed out earlier when we kind of prepped for this, that is a really key. She, she's got some really critical thinking that Laurel's doing here. So thank you. Yep. Laurel. Um, and I know this is something I talk a lot with practitioners about, you know, when you're dealing with candida or heavy metals, you know, be kind of prepared for the other one to come on display or sometimes heavy metals and parasites because they have that binding factor, which you can make, I'm sure you'll explain to us as we dive into this. Um, so she says, does one attempt a detox of candida if there are known metals? Meaning if I have, I know I have heavy metal right on display and I'm working on that, like I kind of tell people be prepared to do the candida protocol right after that. If we're doing a candida protocol, I will tell people be prepared to do a heavy metal cleanse right after that, right? Um, because you start clearing one and the other one comes on display. It was there all along, but it was kind of hiding behind, right, the other. Um, she also brings up a question about the dental, you know, if somebody has the mercury, um, uh, the mercury fillings, right? Should they get those removed before they do any of these things? I mean, she just brings up so many good points here. So we'd love to kind of pick your brain and get your perspective on this. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Laurel, for, for posing this. You know, this is, uh, this is one of those things that we have to be re reminded of that, that we all have candida. You know, it's part of the protective uh, metabolism environment of the body. However, it's, it can get overgrown real easily. Diet, stress, dehydration, over-the-counter prescription meds, a, a myriad of things can cause that to get out of bounds, so to speak. So one of the things that I like to focus on is when we do our muscle test and we check for people, do the, you know, is the overgrowth the priority or is the amalgam the priority, right? We can test to find out, as you and I spoke about earlier, sometimes you got to do a little candida protocol for a while, sometimes a little metals for a while. You might have to bounce back and forth. Some people are, you know, they're, they're resilient enough that they can actually handle a little bit of both at the same time. So the testing dictates the approach after we've identified what's causing the problem. And again, that's one of those principles that we have to mention every time, regardless of the protocol question. So the, uh, the, the next question about, you know, should somebody, um, should somebody, um, you know, get the amalgams, you know, removed or focus on that first, that's a case by case basis only because it's, now you're getting into a real issue of finances. Mm -hmm. the, you know, clients, the, the, we don't diagnose pocketbooks, right? And that's, that's up to the client to decide if they have the extra hundreds or in some cases thousands of dollars to have these things removed by you know a qualified dentist uh, to take care of that and uh, and so I know there's a lot of cancer centers in this country that will not accept you as a client if you have mercury amalgams because they know from their own experience their science tells them that their success rates with a cancer patient drastically reduces as long as there's mercury in the mouth, okay? And as a refresher for folks that watch this, mercury is completely safe and inert in a mouth, in a filling, unless one of two things happens. You chew on it, it gets pressure, or you put something hot in there. Those are the only two times that it becomes active again, okay? So, and the reason they know that is because they used to do it on cadavers and cadavers weren't chewing and they weren't drinking hot fluids. 
so they never produced the environment to release the vapors. But we know now uh, that mercury is a very toxic substance and it will release uh, into the system. So, um, you know, that's, that's a question you have to let the client, uh, you know, answer. You can't answer that for them. So it's a case by case thing. Uh, if they can get it done, then I'm always for that, you know, find the, find the right dentist and so forth, but, um, and never do more than two or three at a time, right? Don't get talked into doing seven or eight at one time. Never do more than two or three if you go through, uh, go through that experience. But, um, you know, a lot of times what will happen with, with clients on this candida issue too is they will uh, maybe start a program, get a kill off of the yeast, and then they start suffering from mercury poisoning because it's released it into the system. And that's gonna be your client that you're gonna to wanna to kind of keep close tabs on as to bouncing back and forth maybe, or maybe they're strong enough to do both the yeast protocol and the heavy metal tincture uh, as an example at the same time. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, they're tricky cases because there's over 250 uh, unrelated symptoms with the yeast alone. Then you got the metal potential the metal and chemical poisoning on top of that and uh, you start stirring it up you just got to be able to monitor the case properly and, and give the client what they need when they need it yeah and i will just kind of add on to you had pointed out kind of going back and forth right with the candida and the heavy metal um i will just add on to that that if you do have to do that you know that's especially for dealing with a very chronic case um, I've been working with Holly up in Cody on a case for several months where um, this guy, you know, he was really in a position where it's like working on Candida and the next week we're on heavy metals and the next week we're on Candida and the next week we're on heavy yep. metals. It was so back, yep. and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yep. Now he's, he's been going through all of the cleanses and he's at the lymph cleanse right now. And now Candida's come back on display again. And so, um, so if you're dealing with one of these cases where it is just very, very chronic, right? You're on this back and forth. Don't feel like you're doing something wrong. It's just, this is a process and it takes some time. It doesn't always just correct itself like that. That's why you always say three to six months to get stable, right? One to three years to get well. Yep. Um, so this is a, that, that was just an example I wanted to share of somebody where it's been several months of kind of back and forth. Um, you know, and he's doing much, much better today than he was three months ago, but it's definitely been a road to get him there and, and definitely like switching back and he's been on phase one the whole time, but doing the candida protocol then doing a heavy metal cleanse, then doing an intestinal cleanse, doing, you know, doing candida and kind of doing this bouncing around. So, yeah, you know, and that's, again, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're mentioning this because it, uh, it all goes back to that earlier comment about properly educating and positioning clients so that they're not vulnerable. You're not vulnerable to the misunderstandings or the mismanagement of the education, and they're not. They're, they're walking forward with confidence mm -hmm. and a level of understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, it just takes, it takes getting that, those cycles of action really implemented in place and on cue as a practitioner so that you're positioning the majority, not everybody's gonna work perfectly, right? But the majority of your clients are gonna be, you know, getting the kind of results they're looking for because of that process they've been taking through. So yeah, bouncing back and forth, that sounds familiar. I've seen some of those too. Keep after it, Holly, keep after it. Yeah, 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 she's managed it beautifully. Um, so 
I'm curious on your thoughts before we move on to the last question. It, how often do you have somebody on a heavy metal protocol or a candida protocol where you don't have to kind of follow up with the other? Does that happen very often or is it? It, 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 it does happen in your more mild cases. And again, it depends on what caused the overgrowth to begin with, okay? okay. If it's a stress-induced case of candida overgrowth, then that's always going to do this in relationship to their personal and professional life stressors that's making the cause of that. If it's overuse of over-the-counter medication or over-the-counter prescription medications, well, then as those diminish, as the health is restored, we'll see less and less of that, okay? okay. If they're overeating sugar, if their diet is not on point or they violate it too soon after finishing phase one, they'll recreate just like Jan Mason, right? She's always gonna be a diabetic. You, we can recreate the, the problems by not changing the habits long enough or being at least consistent with them long enough to keep those things at bay. So again, it's, it's called structured flexibility. We wanna, the evaluation process is the same for everybody, but we gotta be flexible within that once we know what the cause of the overgrowth is and are they addressing those from a habit-forming standpoint with stress reduction, less medications, and getting their diet more on point long-term? Wonderful. Thank you. So the last question is on tinnitus. Yes. And, um, I know there can be kind of several, several things that can contribute to this, but uh, what are your thoughts or what have you, what has been kind of your experience clinically? Yeah. Yeah. This is a great question. It's, I love to try and tackle the tinnitus cases. And again, we must know the cause in order to design the approach. Okay. It can be caused by noise damage or diet. Um, believe it or not, there's hypoglycemia cases out there that for whatever reason, start developing the tinnitus issues. Uh, medication, you know, here's one that I just love when I found this on a gentleman years ago. The doc said, hey, you need to be taking your little children's bear aspirin every day. Turns out he's allergic to the, uh, it's called salicylicites, I think it's called. There's an ingredient in aspirin that people can become allergic to. Histamine responses ensue, tinnitus. And they never think to connect it with his little one-a-day aspirin that he was taking. And we had we checked him on sensitivities to everything that he was doing finally, showed on the aspirin, we looked at the ingredients, found that that was in it, and it was triggering the histamine responses, and voila, that's what actually showed promise on his, and now gone, but initially it was amazing, like overnight, overnight. So he could show a difference in the tinnitus. So you gotta watch what they're taking, and aspirin can produce some of those, some of those allergy responses. Okay. Um, anemia cases, load them up on superfood. Uh, but then you've got your more cardiovascular driven cases like hypertension, uh, arteriosclerosis, uh, poor circulation. I had a structural case. Uh, I've had three or four of those just this year already where they complained a little bit about their ears. When we use the percussor and, re and, and address the TMJ, okay? Two or three times, they noticed that that all helped to clear that area up. So TMJ uh, practitioners can be one of those causes you want to pay attention to. So, you know, like you like to always say, remember that anything can cause anything. So really think on the big chick picture 
when you have these bigger challenges um, and you must know what brought it on. So the toughest part of tinnitus is when it's injury related. Injury related really dictates that they're gonna be doing three or four droppers of garlic oil and or drops, excuse me, three or four drops of garlic oil and three or four drops of the B&B formula in the ear every night for about six months. And they also have to take the B&B, and this is something I think is overlooked sometimes. They gotta put six or eight drops on the fingertips and they have to get the cervicals all the way to T1, all the way up. They gotta get here and on the mastoids, okay? They gotta really rub that in uh, every day. And then that's one of those things that if it's a structural uh, injury, loud noise, um, then we have to look at, um, you know, giving the body about six months to recuperate uh, from those things. But there's uh, excessive earwax, garlic oil for a few nights, and then do some ear candling, right? I mean, we, we again, we have to really expand our willingness on how to look at these from different angles, especially on the tinnitus cases, because there's just so many different things that can cause it. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. You bet. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, whether you're live or on the replay. We do this every month. So if you have questions you would like to submit or topics you would like us to discuss, please feel free uh, to get those to me anytime. You can also submit challenging cases if you would like to send us a, a client case that you want us to take a look at and kind of break down and give some additional input of things to, you know, consider, you know, testing them on or looking, you know, evaluating with them on. Um, please feel free to submit those to me anytime. And we thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. And uh, be sure to remember the other resources that just came online in February for the, the two different channels that are there for your support as well. Oh, yes, yes. Make sure you're on the channels. We do post the replay on there as well. So you can catch the full replay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Practice Blueprint, the podcast. In order to get connected with us by way of Facebook or online or with our LinkedIn accounts, check us out at our website, countrydoctorwholesale.com. It's countrydoctorwholesale.com. There you can get plugged into a number of resources, give us feedback, ask questions, find out about future practitioner events, and be plugged into the Practice Blueprint Manual, which does provide over 20 hours of continuing education credits for practitioners that need it. It is a accredited nationally program with the ANMCB and the AANWP. So again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to catching you next time on Practice Blueprint, the podcast.